Hi, welcome. Welcome to Training with Casey, and I'm your host, Casey Cover. Working and living with animals is my passion. I expect it's pretty important to you also. Let's explore it together. Here, we talk mostly about training, but also about genetics, physiology, philosophy, enrichment, and more. We chase some pretty big rabbits into their burrows. Buckle your seatbelts and let's take a ride. Hey folks, thank you for joining me again. I have the pleasure of talking a bit more with Teresa Bowman. It turns out that even though we talked and talked and talked and had a great time at it, there's more things that Teresa really wanted to share about her journey. And I would love to hear them. So I asked her, let's do it sooner than later. So here we are again. Hi, Teresa. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Hope you are. Yeah, I'm doing great. And I'm really glad to be here. And um, what, what else would you like? There's so much in life, right? Oh yeah. And so what about, um, training and so on in particular, were you really wanting to come forward and share with people? Well, one thing I wanted to kind of explain and just elaborate about a little bit more is why I refer to myself as an aspiring trainer rather than just a trainer or a professional trainer. Mm. Even though you um, do have years of experience training. Yeah, okay. uh, I, I do. Um, and and so I've been studying uh, about training dogs for about five years now. Um, and uh, really trying to learn all I could, but, uh, and I've worked professionally as a trainer and obedience trainer, um, which, which of course I mentioned before, we, uh, said that we did behavior modification as well, but it was really obedience focused training. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, so, and, and again, I also mentioned before that I really felt like there was something missing from that. And, even after working professionally, still felt that way. Um, and uh, even after realizing that that was not the place for me, uh, I, I left there. I was at the training facility um, for a period of time and I did enjoy it. Um, I did board and train training there and private lesson training there. I just, for one thing, I feel like animal trainers, dog trainers as well, should have the equivalent of a college level education. Mm. Um, that was an idea that I already had and that another mentor of mine um, reiterated to me. And I definitely feel like that's the case that so many people don't or they get some level of education some level of technique and feel like oh I can do these things and I can make a program out of these things and make money but oh wow you know it's yeah not yeah yeah like okay I take all these marketing classes and they say oh go ahead and sign these people up for a class even if you don't have a class Sign them up, get their money, and then make your class. And I cringe. Yeah. Because I mean, it's kind of like this whole drive for AI right now. Oh, AI can write all this stuff. Well, we have a program for AI to uh, just do reviews on the movies, you know, the videos we do. And it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't have common sense. Yeah. It'll, it'll say all this stuff. So this gets back to a trait which you have 
and which is causing you pain right now. And that is that you're an astute observer. You're discerning. And so you're looking at something and you're realizing, oh, that's not the whole situation. There's more that we need to take into account here. And you're looking for the answer. Mm -hmm. And you know what the problem is. I call that, you know where your wall is. You've hit the wall. You know a solution. And it works for some things. And that is you can uh, introduce training and a culture of training in general. You can teach general obedience and being in that training culture will straighten some things out with a dog. Just like a lot of people want their sons to go into the military to get started in life. It will give them discipline and this and that and the other thing. So yeah, that can happen, but it doesn't really get at some of the most important problems. It's kind of a blunt instrument. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And so so you, yeah. you, you need to be qualified and put your class together before you sell it. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, with working with animals, with, with dogs, with pet dogs, uh, you know, is what I work with. And so most of the time, I mean, it's great if people get a puppy and they want to put it right into training. They want to contact a trainer right away and say, you know what, I want to start my dog off on the right foot. But most of the time, we tend to get dogs that their owners are having a problem with them. And so often, it's a psychological problem. And it's not something that just teaching them some tasks to do to do in place of this other behavior. Or right, the mutually exclusive behavior. Yeah, it, it's not changing the way that they feel. And so there's so much more required. And, and you know, some people do have their their ways. There's different sorts of training that that try to solve the problems, the underlying problems. Um, but I mean, it's hard to, you can't just, just sugarcoat it and not really get down to the meat of the issue. If you're not getting down to the meat of what's wrong here um, and really changing the way that the animal thinks about things, you're not going to fix anything. Trainer Angela Monteith had a dog uh, she's certified in perception modification and she had a beautiful dog that would go ballistic over thunderstorms if i recall correctly and she taught her to be on a place during the thunderstorm and that kept the dog from jumping on her shoulder and crawling up around her neck but it didn't end her anxiety mm. And as Angela has described it in one of our podcasts, um, that wasn't okay. It wasn't just that she didn't want to be inconvenienced by her dog's trauma and phobias and, you know, fear. She didn't want her dog to go through that experience yep. if she could fix that with her dog. So this sounds like what you're talking about also. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yep. Um, we, we call this discipline that, um, that attracted you perception modification. It is a protocol that addresses all behaviors that are perceptually mediated. In other words, uh, the animal sees something a certain way, and that is scary or anxiety causing, or it caught anything that the ant that causes the animal to lose their ability to self manage. Mm -hmm. We can address through this perception modification, 
And of course, we cannot solve the problem for every single dog, mm -hmm. but we can solve it for over 97% of them. And it's the same protocol and it works for separation anxiety, thunder, fireworks, air breaks, vet exams, vet procedures, riding in the car, being aroused. In other words, these are all exactly the kind of thing you're talking about that rather than suppress the animal's experience mm -hmm. that causes him to act out, you're looking for a way to reconstruct the animal's response. Yep. And that's why we call it perception modification. Because for example, if people go to um, cinelia.com slash press and scroll down and look for the pig blood collection video, you're going to see in the first part of it, a female pig with babies and she's screaming her head off because they're taking blood from the vena cava. And boy, when I saw that, I thought it would be impossible to teach an animal to voluntarily do that. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't even hard. It took an average of one hour per animal. And the biggest problem we had is they all wanted to be first. We had to literally go in and teach them their own names and to wait their turn. So if you watch that video at the end, you're going to see a very quiet pig standing there waiting for the blood to be collected. But if you look behind the shoulders of the tech, you're going to see a second pig quietly awaiting his turn. Wow. Yeah. And how close did you say that the needle was to their heart? Uh, it's uh, like an inch. Wow. So in my checkered past, I used to be an animal phlebotomist. I had to go and collect blood from a lot of different animals. And it's a crazy thing because that particular blood draw doesn't have landmarks. You don't put a finger on this bone and a finger on this bone or put some lidocaine on it and see the blood vessel raise up and then go into it. You just have to know. And it's the craziest thing, Teresa, because you kind of become one with the blood. And you're like, go, baby. You put your needle in there and it goes into place. And oh. it's all part of just kind of like, you know, you've got to be calm and reassuring. And animal, we're going to do this together. And there you go. And we've done it. Wow. it. It's kind of amazing how it works. I was very complimented that I was called a vampire. <laughs> like I could sneak in at night and get the blood and nobody would notice. Wow. But any, you know, anybody can do this, but the, um, anybody can do this if you can align with the animal which is what we're talking about. Um, you're talking about not being satisfied with suppressing what the animal's doing or exercising authority over the animal. Not that we never need to exercise authority, but it's like, what about if we awaken the desire in the animal to be able to master this challenge. Yep. And then we work with them to empower them to do that. And we coach them and cheer them on and we become their allies and their allies. Yeah, their allies. Let's say that twice. <laughs> yeah. Yep, most definitely. So good um, for you. So you were looking for something beyond uh, either distracting the animal to do, you know, do this instead of that or do this or else. Not like anybody's going to be mean to the animal or anything else, but come on, if you're in the doctor's office and you're terrified of 
giving blood and somebody just says, um, you will now put your arm out. You will now put your arm out. It's like if you put your arm out and you're still tense and your muscle is tense and then the needle's going to go in there. If the needle goes in there and you all of a sudden get tense, that can literally bend the needle. Oh, wow. Yeah, that can hurt like heck, making the whole thing worse. Let's do it differently. Let's go in and say, okay, this is the needle. You want to see it? Watch me. I'm going to do it to me. Here it is. Ouch. That hurts. Mm -hmm. I can show you but it's going to hurt a little bit. Can I make, you know, can I prick your skin? And the animal will say yes. Yeah. And then we do it and we get out of there and we say, okay, how was that? We didn't collect the whole blood. We just let them experience the skin prick. Okay. We mm -hmm. get out and we say, how was that? Can you handle that? Mm -hmm. And then we'll say, could we do it for the count of two? And then the animal will usually give us permission to go forward and we're off to the races. So when in that particular example, it took approximately one hour per pig to teach the entire blood collection procedure, including right. waiting their turn. But, <laughs> and it's just amazing that they, at that point, they want to be a part and are asking to be a part of that process. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the modification, the perception modification. We took it from something that was violating and caused them fear mm -hmm. to something that empowers them. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't know why I was worried about that. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And it goes from caring about, in, in the pet dog world anyway, caring about the people problem versus the experience of the animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what we're up against in the final thing is we want our animals to have long, healthy, happy lives. And we want to have long, healthy, happy lives with them, you know, to to meander around and have animals that are well-adjusted, that get along with people, that can get in the car and not have problems, go to the vet and not have problems. And um, really, this is more important to most owners than actual any kind of formal obedience. Mm -hmm. I myself, the first thing I teach is a recall, but... That's kind of a coincidence because as soon as you teach a target, you've got to recall. Yeah. But what I actually enforce is I only have four things that I generally enforce. And that is uh, wait, stop, wait, leave it and drop it. Or wait, stop, leave it and drop it. And um, the reason for that is that if I need to go get a, a dog, I can walk across the street and go get him if he'll wait there for me. Mm, yeah, I'd rather do that than have him run across the street. But anyway, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. I had a similar thought process. And to tell you the truth, I measure success in the longevity and the health of the animal. I'm I'm playing a long game yeah. and I want to see those people and animals have these great long lives together. That's right. Yep. Um, okay. So, so what did you see um, and how did you see something that made you think that maybe there was an answer to this? Like, um, it, it was interesting, the uh, the training facility that I worked for, um, the owner who was in charge of teaching us, she actually recommended that I look into um, a SAT certified trainer, which huh. nothing she does is remotely like SAT, um, nothing that I witnessed there, rather. Um, yeah, right. And 
So anyway, um, I I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll I'll do that when I can, and just focused on what she was directly teaching me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, after I left there, and I definitely wanted to continue training. Uh, one of my best friends ended up getting a uh, she wanted a rescue dog, and she got yeah. a big beautiful 120 pound female great dane big black great dane oh my she's a beautiful beautiful animal and um so she you know comes to me first and she's like you know how should i get started and i'm telling her all this obedient stuff and everything and um she went i guess to walk the dog around the neighborhood and realized that she was really I guess, increasingly reactive. The more that she was walking her past people and dogs, the issue was getting worse and worse and worse. And what I was telling her obedience wise wasn't working. So I started looking for other solutions. Oh, wow. Yeah, so without naming any specific techniques, I tried to figure out what else is going to work for this dog and um, tried different behavior modification techniques that I was learning. And um, it seemed to be more frustrating and complicated for the owner. Um, And uh, she she ended up reaching out to a trainer in her area. She's a couple of hours away from me. And um, so <laughs> that was an interesting experience. But she uh, ended up recommending that I uh, look into another trainer who is a, a SAT certified trainer. So it was really interested. And, you know, the owner I'm talking about is mm-hmm. recommended that I look into a SAT certified trainer. And so it was just like meant to be that I- So like you kept kept getting like little neon signs. Yeah. Look at SATs, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And and so that that has been what I have seen this type of training that made the most difference in- different animals lives several several different animals lives who I've worked with since I've been learning about it um I've worked with about a handful of animals probably five or so uh different dogs and um well and my cat too Mm -hmm. and my friend Laura's bunnies we uh we talk about using sets with them as well so I mean it's just I mentioned on the last episode we did, it really rocked my world and just changed, totally changed the way that I think about relating to animals and to guide people to relate to animals. That's outstanding. I'm I'm so glad to hear that there are trainers that are certified in SATs that are getting the word out, that are helping people to, you know, make it through these difficult problems. When you mentioned that it can be complicated, it is complicated. It's the hardest thing. uh, We call it perception modification. It's the hardest thing I've taught. And I will tell you that now we just recommend that trainers teach the dogs. Yeah. And not the owners. Because when you go through all the work to learn it, and it's not very intuitive, you can do it very quickly. I can solve most problems within 15 hours or less, literally sometimes in 15 minutes. But the owner, well, let's put it this way. The certification course goes 20 weeks. Yeah, and they're not interested necessarily in investing. They're that trying much to just live their lives, right? 
Yeah, they they, but, they don't want to be dog trainers, so why would they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let the, I mean, a lot of times we dog trainers or we animal trainers have an attitude like, well, you need to do your homework. But imagine if you went to a doctor and you had to have your tonsils out and he was upset that you didn't have your surgery site prepped before you got there. <laughs> It's like, well, that's why I'm paying you, right? Yeah. Sure. Okay, so I'm so glad you resonated. And I'm really excited to uh, follow with you, to be on this journey with you. Because as you've seen from the trainers that are certified and are helping others with these problems, um, they're doing a great job. And, and it makes all the difference in the world. And to master that, to have that power to go and really teach it is a really wonderful thing. And I, I say all the time, I loved performance. I loved getting in front of an audience with animals and just like blowing their socks off, having the dolphins do something and everybody going, oh, that was such fun but I saw so much misery around me from animals that couldn't cope with their lives and they were they maybe thought they were getting away with things but in reality the family was like we've got to get rid of this dog and the dog then oh my gosh can you imagine the trauma of being taken to a shelter and abandoned yeah. and you never even understood what was at stake. Yeah. So I always say um, perception modification isn't sexy like performances. It's about as exciting as watching paint dry, but it is beautiful in that we see animals reclaim and recreate their lives. Yeah. I think to an extent, when we're working with these animals, we have to put our ego to the side and focus what? on them. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who do you think you're talking to? I'm a trainer. Exactly. Yeah. You want to, <laughs> can't you teach them what I can teach them? Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, and it's so. No, I was reacting to the idea that I have to put my ego to the side. Let me think about that. Okay, go ahead. No, but I mean, I, I what I'm saying is that, you know, these so many trainers now and I see this saw this really in the obedience world. It's like a look at what I can do type of attitude. You yeah. know, can't you make a dog do that? Can't you look what I, I can do it better and and mine's cleaner. And But at the end of the day, does your dog feel any different about it? Doesn't really look like it. Yeah. And. And so I think to an extent we we have to, for me anyway, I have to had to swallow my pride and be like, well, maybe I don't know best. And when I did that, I totally changed what I was doing and yeah. totally changed the results I was getting after that. Yay. I, I, in a good way, right? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. I mean, with my personal dog, um, she was... So there was a seizure in of a puppy mill in the next county over from where I live. And I was working at the kennel uh, at this time. Uh, this was before I started working at the training facility that I went to. Um, and so there, there were way too many dogs. The shelter was already full, the county shelter. Um, and so they're kind of just shipping them all around. There were uh, Mastiff mixes. There were Connie Corsos. There were English Bulldogs and French Bulldogs. Oh, and, my. <laughs> it was crazy. So these are all dogs that are hard to place correctly in homes to begin yep. with. Yeah. And this was evidently a long time offender from what I was told um, because I knew some people that were uh, connected with these people that were doing the bad breeding business 
um, and that knew of them from decades ago. And so evidently they have been doing this for a really long time. Um, and I, I guess I'm assuming it come to a head eventually. And when they raided them, it was all over the news. And uh, some of the more experienced higher ups that they were interviewing on the news were saying that it was one of the worst Brett, uh, puppy mill type of situations that they had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had just hazmat suits going in there. Um, and there, there were, I think 53 dogs that they, so, I mean, it wasn't like some of these that are out there, but it was 53 dogs that they seized and three of them were pregnant. And so at the shelter, they ended up with like 81 dogs, I think by the time all the puppies were born. And so they were shipping them out to different, um, boarding facilities in the area and we got where I was working we didn't get the little cute dogs because we took any dog there any breed uh and pretty much any type of behavioral situation um so we got the Mastiff mixes and the Connie Corsos um and some of the larger English bulldogs um and it was really interesting. I had been looking for a dog for about a year and a half before this. And I wanted to find the one, like the perfect dog, the perfect fit for me. So it, for whatever reason, it was just meant to be. I went and visited all these different dogs at the shelter and looked at all these different dogs and none of them, for whatever reason, were who I was destined to be with. And, um, so the first truck that we got, the first um, uh, dogs that I was called to get off of the van, uh, the first one was this cute little blue Cane Corso. And um, it, a little four-month-old female puppy. And that's Aya. That's the dog I have now. So she ended up, um, I immediately let them know that that is, uh, I let my the owner of the business I was working for know if there's any possible way that I could end up with her that I wanted her. And um, long story, long already, but to make it shorter, I went, it was months and months. It was a really, really long shot. The shelter was getting hundreds of calls a day about these dogs and thousands of applications sent in. Oh, and- wow. And they ended up adopting them out on a lottery system, six dogs at a time. So that's why they had so many, with the news coverage and all, they had so many applications for them. And um, the owner of the place that I was working was allowed to adopt one of them just outright. And so she gave me my dog. Oh, wow. It it was really amazing. Um, I'll tell you, I prayed every single night I spent my time spent my time there my days off and just you know up there anytime I could be with her while I was working and we really bonded um and so nine months later I was able to finally take her home and she had health problems she had really bad emotional problems, extremely fearful, extremely anxious. And all I knew was obedience. (laughs) So it was hard. Here I am just trying, struggling, trying, because I just wanted her to feel better. And here I am just kind of forcing her everything. All of my research says, oh, you have to socialize them. You have to take them out. And they're going to be dog aggressive if you don't get them around other dogs and all this and people aggressive. And so I essentially really forced her to do a lot that she wasn't ready for and wasn't comfortable with. Um, And I thought I was doing the right thing by her. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Um, I mean, all these people that tell you to do this, they they're trying to do the right thing. They 
you know, they, they're really sincere. You need to get this dog out and teach it about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. They just haven't, one way or another, they don't recognize all the different options. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't either. And I was really searching for them. I was really trying to look far and wide to see what is the best thing for me to do for my dog. Um, and she was great at obedience. We had a lot of fun. I enjoyed teaching her obedience. Um, but uh, so she probably knows like a hundred cues or so. Like, I mean, she knows a lot of cues and um, has no problem performing them and all this. And um, uh, I mean, she makes out like she's like a well-trained dog. Uh, uh -huh. I took her to, um, the place that I, so I ended up leaving the kennel and going to work for the, um, training facility. And, um, I ended up, uh, getting her, her canine good citizen title. Um, so, I mean, she can fake it pretty well. I guess we both can. She, but she, cause I knew she really was not feeling comfortable. Um, yeah, so you say, and, and you're kidding, you say, oh, she can fake it pretty well, we both can. But this is, this is the difficult side of being perceptive and discerning, because a lot of people would have left it there and considered the problem solved. Yep. But you are sensitive to the feelings of the dog. And because of that, you know, it's like a mother with a crying baby. People can tell you, let the baby cry. Yeah. But it just does not seem like the right answer. Yeah. And if the, I mean, sometimes the baby will stop crying right away, but if the baby keeps crying, it could be a health problem. It could be, you know, something else serious. And we have to keep looking. That's right. That's right. So you're um, a victim of your own ability to notice things. Guess so. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I'm so thankful that I didn't just settle with that because yeah. um, learning from uh, a SAT certified trainer, I, I mean, she's made an amazing turnaround from and, and and initially, you know, I was just trying to acquire this information for myself and share it with her at the same time. So there's a learning curve. You know, I had to really, I had to learn the information more, um, more thoroughly. And, you know, there's still more layers of it. I don't know, which is why I am so interested in learning from you. You know, one of the reasons why anyway. And I mean... I just, uh, since I have, over the past uh, little over a year, since I've really been trying to apply this with her, I've really seen her go from a shy, timid dog to a dog who is a lot more confident and sure of herself. She's really become more of the dog that she was bred to be, become more, more like a Kane Corso, you know? I mean, so everyone might not like that, but she, she is more boisterous and um, playful and vocal. Like she expresses herself, which I appreciate because I want to hear what she's feeling. I want to know yeah. Yeah. exactly how she's feeling. I want her to tell me because before what I was doing when I was doing the obedience was telling her what to do probably 90, 80 to 90% of the time, as close to hundred percent of the time as I could, <laughs> I was telling her, okay, you sit, stay, do this, do that. And so when I stopped, she's like, what do I do? And, and I started really focusing on her and how she was feeling. Now she's understanding, okay, I can just tell mom how I feel and she's gonna help me 
get to where I want to get to. Like just for example, if she wants to go outside or something, she doesn't have to do all these different things. She could just tell me, and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Um, you need this? Okay, let's do it. Um, and so it's just been a life-changing experience to see her flourish like she has. So can you tell people what you've seen? Like when you say flourishing, you mean she's actually daring to show who she is, what she wants. Yeah. And not just to put herself on hold while she follows signals. Yes. Um, so try to think about how I can explain it best. Um, I mean, she, now she can self-regulate a lot better. Whereas before, I think that I relied so much on giving her cues that she kind of needed that. And she kind of needed at that point because she didn't know any different as far as a relationship with a human um, than being told, do this, do that. Um, and so before, um, you know, I would really be controlling her entire life. And when I kind of let go of that, and, and and not only that, I mean, I was using, thinking about like perception modification, I was coercing her with food and using, before I learned about perception modification, I was coercing her and, and essentially bribing her. I tried to not do that, but like to accomplish a goal, for example, nail trimming. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was coercive with food at first and I was able to trim her nails until I quit them. And she was like, oh no, we're not doing that again. So what I was doing at the training facility at that time would have been to add more force um, at the level of training that we were at. So I attempted to try to restrain her to be able to cut her nails and there was no possible way it wasn't happening to say with, how did that work for you <laughs> with myself and she's small I mean she wasn't well bred she's 70 pounds I mean she's not a big dog but she's strong yeah, yeah. but yeah myself and my husband we could not it was impossible we could not restrain her to be able yeah. to do that I've said before that when um, when I was first training dolphins, they hadn't developed the ability to teach the animals to cooperate in their care like mm -hmm. we can now. And it would take four or five people on a dolphin to collect blood, which they needed to do to keep the dolphins healthy. Yeah. We called the person on the tail the astronaut. Okay. And he was going to fly into space. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I, I understand what you're talking about, you know, and, and when you take an yeah. animal and they're really concerned or worried, frightened by something, they have amazing amount of strength. Mm -hmm. so what, what are your goals for her now? What challenge is ahead of you that you want to work on first with her? Well, uh, I'll go into that. Let me just finish about the, the nail trimming, if you don't okay. mind. Oh, yeah, no, of course. Um, go ahead. So, yeah, we weren't even able. I mean, I used to sedate her. Uh, the vet gave me drugs to sedate her, and I would try my best, and she could fight all of that. It really didn't matter. The professional groomers um, where I worked. They were not able to, because I left the, the training facility and went back to the kennel where I was. There's a, a grooming salon there, and they were not able to really get her to the point where 
it was comfortable with me that they continue to try to clip her nails. So using perception modification, um, I got her to the point where now, long story short, she comes up to me and just pushes. I said, do you want to do your nails? She, she's offering her paw. And yeah. if I don't do it fast enough, here she goes, turning around, trying to offer her foot. Yeah. It's the, it's the coolest thing. I just wanted to say that before that's I went. That's so with- wonderful. I mean, that's that's why they can, the name, you know, yeah, you changed the way she saw this event Yeah. in such a way that she now welcomes it, wants it, will compete for it. Yeah, without any food being around at this point, I mean, she's she's all for it. She loves having her nails done now. So it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So when somebody suppresses something, there still can be violation, stress, anxiety, trauma. When somebody sees something as a challenge, which they are equal to, it's empowering. Yeah, you know, there's there's so many things like that in our lives too. Okay, wow, that is such a cool story. And I happen to know that nails are can be one of the bigger challenges that I encounter regularly. Yeah. Like my dogs are all good, but I've had dogs in the past that um really had an issue. Yeah. Oh, I mean, working for somewhere that did nails, I got stuck doing nails a lot of the times being one of the senior employees and it, oh, I hated it because I didn't want to make those dogs go through that, especially once I knew more about their, their feelings and how I could help them feel better about it. You know, forcing them to do something like that was, it was torture for me, but also for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to my question. Um, What's next for her? So at this point, uh, I would like to get her back going in the car and going places with me. Um, We have been, so I used to take her everywhere with me. Everywhere I went, she was in the car with me and she would go with me and over time, she developed a fear or anxiety related to being left in the car alone, um, which I think at first, for a long time, I didn't really pick up on that this was building, but um, I, I stopped just making her do it uh, a while ago, and so I've been working back towards that. Is she okay being left alone at home? Yes, she is. Well, you know, I thought that she she was originally and and she wouldn't eat anything or drink any water. I I did some work with that and now she is okay with me. She will go around the house and eat and she will drink water while we're gone. Um she and she'll go and lay down and um so it's taken some time and some work, but now she is okay with that. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Maybe we can follow with you. Yeah. And that would give be people cool. an update. So um, we wanted to. talk about fostering dogs oh yeah um i just wanted to remind you of that so we could cover it before we end our podcast yeah um yeah i think in in me mentioning that i guess i kind of skipped over that at the beginning um that was just part of my experience over Mm -hmm. the years um has been fostering and um and I I'm excited now to get I'm looking for another foster dog and I'm excited now because I've been able to make some change with 
them in the past. And I'm just, I'm sure now what I'll be able to do with them is going to be mind blowing. And I'm sure it's going to have such a positive impact. I, I think it will too. And when I say this, the reason I think that, and did you hear my wood green story already? Cause I tell it a lot. Yeah. So in that case, I wasn't involved directly in the training, but that was 29 animals that were slated for euthanasia. And I always say we can help over 97%. But in that case, they turned around 100% of those animals that had been deemed unhomable mm. and couldn't be turned around with the uh, tools that these very dedicated, very resourceful staff people had. And I think it's really important to note that the people that ended up turning these animals around, because one was a horse and one was a goat and the rest were dogs, were the same staff. Wow. So what changed was the tools that yeah. these, these people had. And oh my goodness. And then of course, for those of you that haven't heard this story, um, there were no returns of any of these dogs. They all got adopted within a week, every single animal, dog or not. And within two years, there were no returns. And so I begged them to contact the owners and every animal was still successfully in their adopted home. And you're not talking about physical tools. You're talking about the tools for learning sets, correct? Right, right, right. So, um, guys, that would be teaching the bridges, the targets, condition relaxation, cycles, name and explain. Those are the five tools of perception modification. Now, I guarantee you, Teresa, you're going to get what you wanted. You wanted the college degree in dog training. Yeah. And people that have been through this particular program say that uh, it's graduate school for dog trainers. That's awesome. Yeah, but but it is a lot of work. And I think it's so important that trainers of your caliber come in and embrace this level of work because one of the things that's a real danger now is that there are mm, tools that are not well worked out, tools that kind of got stopped somewhere and didn't keep going. So I'm going to talk about operant conditioning. And, you know, I use operant conditioning all the time. I was a dolphin trainer, marine mammal trainer, and I rarely use it now. Now, everybody learns the same way. So there's always conditioning. And at the most basic level, classical conditioning is um, putting a an involuntary physical response like salivation on cue. And operant conditioning is putting an action that will operate the environment on cue. But the process by which this happens is rote repetition. And the goal is to make a highway in the neural network that the animal just has a tendency to flow in that direction. And just as you saw things and you could say, this isn't good enough, that's not good enough. I don't want an animal to do something because it has an entrenched habit that's so strong it cannot think. I want an animal to clearly look at the situation, at the options that are available, and to understand how to choose a successful option. So to make it clear why that could be so important, if you look at the dogs that um, served in 9-11, where they had to go and find uh, people in the rubble, most of these dogs had an automatic alert 
where they, when they found somebody, they would automatically sit and bark until somebody came. But that was a toxic environment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those dogs ended up dying of cancer. Oh, wow. A sit-down alert might not have been the best choice for that particular environment. But I actually observed a training session for this kind of training and there were literally hundreds, if not thousands, of repetitions of tossing food to get a dog to do this automatic sit. And I myself had a beautifully trained Doberman who thought that a good dog would do an automatic sit at the end of whatever else he did. And you know what? He lost the ability to change. Like I worked with him really extensively to bring him back into, to bring him out of the automatic, be, um, the rote behavior and into considered compliance. Mm -hmm. And he just couldn't stand it for more than three things in a row. So if I wanted him to do, here's what he was doing. Bow down, sit stand bow down sit stand bow down sit stand and by using the intermediate bridge bow down sit stand good 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 bow down sit good 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 that 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 but by the third cycle he couldn't stand it he would just all of a sudden sit down <gasps> and look at me he couldn't escape this behavior mm. and i don't want to do this Yep. The problem that I have is not in getting compliance where I need compliance. It's preserving the animal's ability to act with thought. Yep. Yeah. So let's take it forward. Let's take it forward. And if you go and work with rescues, and you become really proficient in this, then you might very well remember the dog that took 13 minutes to change her life. And the gift you give a foster dog in the short time it spends with you could set him up with the understanding of how to be successful with people and how to self-manage without being dependent on the skill of the owners who don't necessarily know how to solve that problem in their own life. Yeah. I'm excited about this. Me too. I want to thank you for coming on and I would love to follow uh, what you do with Aya. Oh yeah with the, you know, getting her back in the car and so on. And maybe we could do that in another podcast at another time. Yeah, that would be cool. So I want to thank you again for coming. And um, it's been such an interesting pleasure to sit here and be able to talk with you. So folks, I hope you all enjoy it. And please share this um, podcast link so that other people can learn that there are solutions out there. If your dog is having emotional problems to cope with his life one way or another, we've got options for you. Anything else to add, Teresa? Well, I just wanted to say in response to that you said it's not going to be easy, you know, to learn sets. It shouldn't be. And I so respect that. You know, I could have gone and, and opened up a obedience training business and continued to do that to those dogs. But I'm so glad that I'm going to be learning and am learning better ways and effective ways. And or helping. let's just say, let's just say ways for other dogs that don't cope with that. Because maybe 
you know, maybe a bunch of dogs do really well with obedience strictly, but not every dog does. Yeah. For some dogs, maybe that is all they need. Yeah. And for those dogs, that's great. That's right. That's a great point. Yeah. And because you're sensitive to, um, you know, the emotions of the dog, you're going to notice like a lot of people wouldn't. But, you know, it it's so harmonious, isn't it? When the animals are truly content and at peace. Yes. And they feel confident. And well, like you said, you're seeing your dog play. And you're yeah. seeing your dog express herself. Yep. And right. um, life is too short to not take the fun and the beauty and the enjoyment. That's right. Where we can. Okay. Well, I, as a lucky girl... And I am so looking forward to this year. So everyone, thanks for joining us. Please come back and we'll see you next time. Take care. Hi, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you coming here and listening. And please become part of the conversation. I love to hear your comments. And I'd love for you to tell me how this affects you, if it makes you angry, if it makes you interested, whatever. And as always, I appreciate it so much when you help us get the word out. I hope you'll come back and I'll see you next time.